Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. SecondCityHockey.com Jonathan Taves. Commit to us. Commit to the jersey. Commit to our people here. episode of the Friday show here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host Dave Melton, site manager for Second City Hockey. As always, you can find me on Twitter at SCH underscore Dave M. Uh, flying solo in this little intro here as it is another Friday show when we sit down for some more in-depth discussions with people in and around the hockey world. Uh, we've been waiting a few weeks on this one trying to time it up with the release of his book, the guest today is Evan F. Moore. He and Jasmine Ashaw are the co-authors of a book, Game Misconduct, Hockey's Toxic Culture and How to Fix It. I think the title of the book pretty well explains the topics that are inside of it. And my discussion with Evan kind of dove into some of those roads while talking about his personal experiences growing up as a hockey fan on the south side of Chicago. That book, by the way, it is available everywhere this coming Tuesday. That's October 12th. And then Evan and Jashvina will be at an event for the book's release on Wednesday. It's October 13th. That's going to be at Madison Street Books, which is in the West Loop. And I'm already kicking myself because I forgot to ask Evan about this during our conversation. He's also teamed up with the Haymarket Beer Company, another Chicago, uh, Chicago-based company. And they've made a beer called Even Strength Goal Ale with a portion of the proceeds from that beer going to multiple organizations who are looking to change the face of the sport. That includes the Black Girl Hockey Club, Hockey on Your Block, the Chicago North Stars, and the Inner City Education Program, also known as the ICE Program. Um, can't thank Evan enough for taking the time out of what has got to be an incredibly busy schedule for him with the book coming out next week. And so without any further ado, let's get right into the conversation with Evan. <laughs> So 
Evan Moore is here, or excuse me, Evan F. Moore, I should say, is here. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time out with us this evening. How, how you, how's everything going on your end? Uh, everything's good. Good, good. Glad, glad to hear it. I know it's been a, a busy time for you with work and, and this book and everything else that's coming out. Um, so as, as I mentioned to you, I, I heard, uh, I was listening to a few of the other podcast hits, hits that you did, and one of them mentioned that you guys finished this book in January. So you've been waiting for nine oh. months for this book? Uh, I mean, it's something we had both had been talking about separately without knowing that we both had like thoughts of writing a, a hockey culture book. Okay. And I, I had been collecting information over the years because sometimes as a freelance writer and all your stories go through. So you have this information and then you had, may have been doing other stories that you may have filed or turned in already. And you, have all, you still have all this information out here. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so once we put it together and got the publisher on board and they were fine with it, I mean, we it maybe took us like three, four months to write it. But also, you know, like there was a deadline for the book, but there was a deadline deadline in terms of, you know, when we were when the when it was fact checked internally and externally, edited externally and internally. Cause we added a few things along the way, but yeah, okay. like well, like I said, we, you know, turned everything in in January. So, I mean, you're, you were with the Sun-Times for so long where I imagine it's not a nine-month process where you finish writing a story and then it shows up in the paper. So, like, did, like that, that whole process seems like it would be agonizing to have to wait that long to see the finished product, at least have the finished product released to the public. I know, like, you guys have your advanced copies yourselves. Yeah, we got those a couple of weeks ago. So before we get into the book itself, I wanted to ask you um, your just hockey background in general. Like I saw you've been you've been with this sport. You know, I think you I saw you reference like the 88 Olympics in Calgary is how you first got into it. Uh, what was your your origin of becoming a hockey fan? Oh, yeah. Sir. I, saw, I was watching the 1988 uh, Winter Olympics that, that were in Calgary. And I turned uh, to I turned in a turned on the game and out and I was, you know, like the ice in Olympic sports is, you know, bigger than what the NHL uses. And right. yeah. And uh, so I just remember just looking at it and being like, yo, this is exciting, but also, you know, low key dangerous, you know? And, uh, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so I kind of was like hooked that way. I thought it was really dope, but yeah, it's kind of one of those things where it's like I didn't grow up around hockey rinks or anything like that. Growing up on the south side of Chicago, and that's kind of one of the first things, the first questions people ask me. I was a, a black man from south side of Chicago, become a, a hockey fan, and that's kind of the story where it really started. And you played hockey for a, a decent amount, right? I started playing maybe like three, four years ago. Okay. Yeah. I've written a story for uh, Chicago side. You might remember that, that mm-hmm. website. Okay. And yeah, I wrote a story about being a, you know, a black hockey fan, you know, growing up here in Chicago. And then the story I mentioned that I'd like to learn how to play at some point. So someone that read it, you know, like DM me and was like, Hey, I read your story and uh, let's meet up. I'd like to give you some hockey equipment. I'm like, oh, cool, you know, it's dope, you know, because, you know, with hockey culture in that sense, you know, you pass on some secondhand equipment to someone, and once they kind of get their bearings, you pass some of that down to another person who, mm-hmm. who 
to learn how to play. So as you were, you know, growing up as a hockey fan, I guess what at what point did the the path that led you to writing this book, when did that start popping up? Like you kind of touched on it there about, you know, the lack of hockey rinks in your area, but was there were there other incidents or something that maybe either personal or from watching hockey as a fan that kind of steered you in the direction of coming up with this book idea? I wasn't really anything that steered me in the direction of writing a book. I'd say like I guess a better to answer your question better, I'd say I, I saw some things over time that didn't really make sense. You know, because hockey's a really great sport all by itself. And on sports talk radio, particularly locally, you just started hearing all these hockey fans like punching down on the NBA and like and you know and shit posting the the coverage of the Bulls over right. at the Blackhawks time like the Blackhawks were in the midst of you know three cups in five years but the black but the Bulls were made had a couple of playoff appearances but you know not like you know championship team type of level and it's kind of noticed where that come from and you where that comes from and there's a lot of things that that's on the underbelly of hockey fandom I felt like that were you know pretty in, insidious and like you know why do you feel the need to punch down on the nba and the nfl and it's pretty it's pretty reasons it's pretty clear reasons why that's happening during the 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 information gathering process for the book i imagine you probably didn't learn anything well maybe you, i guess i'll let you answer this question it was or is there anything new you learned or anything surprising or different that that or was it just was it like almost like reinforcing things that you were believing and you were just confirming for yourself? It was a mix of the both of those. Like okay. it was some stuff, you know, like I knew about, but maybe there were some things that were in depth. I mean, there were there some were there some stories that I had no idea that happened. Yes, but were there also stories that I heard when I was kind of like, yeah, makes sense. It's on brand. And, and I guess the, the, the issue with hockey in, in general, like the, you kind of touched on this a little bit about hockey just being, there's a, I guess a, uh, they have this, this underdog mentality and they get, they're very not acceptable to outsiders in general. And I think the, the racial aspects of that come up in that as well. So I guess, is it different? Is, is just the, the attitude of hockey and hockey culture, I guess, is it different than that of other sports fan bases? And I guess what are those differences that you've come to notice? Well, over time, you know, like, I mean, you think about it, like, with the folks who who follow Second City Hockey and all the folks that you follow in hockey Twitter, I mean, are any of them fans in the NBA? Not many, I'd say. <laughs> it's, it's not as big of an overlap as, like, for the NFL or something else. Yeah, so – that's kind of that's where it's at right there. And in many cases, that not many, but a good amount, I'd say some, like are hockey fans as as a repudiation towards the NBA and the NFL, with just as full of, you know, black players. And you see that play out and and you know, these got these folks picking at a Derrick Rose, LeBron James, uh and other folks, and like um, you see it when the Stanley Cup final and the NBA finals, you know, basically happen at the same time. You just see them like, like memes of the X amount of 
times LeBron James said I as opposed to oh, yeah. Jonathan Taves, and you just know what's going on there with that. And they, you see a lot of folks in hockey that seem to believe that like teamwork and and like you know working really hard and and putting your you know team ahead of anything else is somehow exclusive to hockey, and that's not the case at all. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of propaganda. <laughs> that's that's a good word for it. Like they they make ho- they make hockey out like it's such a unique thing when there's they're all team sports, you know, I just, it, it's, it just, it just seems like hockey so much more into the propaganda, as you said, for, for lack of, cause that's, that seems like the best word for it. Oh yeah. It's... So, so given like the, the insular nature of hockey and everything, was it difficult to get people within that were inside the hockey world to talk about this topic for the book? I mean, there are some people, you know, that were like, I want to talk about this, but I can't. But also there were people who were like, but on the whole, like people want to talk about it. Like my, my uh, co-author Josh Vina will, you know, see her wheelhouse is more so, you know, college hockey mm-hmm. and me. So like pro and, you know, like diversity stuff and like, you know, fan engagement and community engagement and then things of that nature. And she would have stories. So yeah, stories of people where she, Speaking of like, you know, two, three hours about Christmas of others. So there wasn't a lack of people that didn't want to talk, but also there wasn't a a lack of content in terms of fucked up stories. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, I know I mentioned earlier about how I, uh, you know, went back and had stories from people who I spoke with before that, you know, after I had filed a story or, or there was a kill fee involved or whatever. And like, you know, when that happened, you know, it was so many stories that I had to like turn it, like I had my fill of them, Mm -hmm. you know? So that kind of tells you what the sport is about when I put out a tweet saying something effective, Hey, you're a hockey player or you're a parent or a, or, or a player or whatever, and you face racism in the sport, DM me or let me know. <laughs> and the fact that so many people reached out kind of shows you, you know, what, what time it is. Mm-hmm. Does that have an effect on your hockey fandom, either of a, you know, a player or a team or just a sport as a whole? Oh, yeah. I mean... I remember I did an interview with The Athletic like last summer with like hockey fans from black hockey fans from other areas. You know, it was, it was me who was a Black Hawks observer, and then it was another gentleman who was a Kings fan, and then two uh, women who were Blues fans. And one of them was like, being a black hockey fan is like being a black Republican. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it kind of like that thing where it's like, some black people may say like think like why do you like that quote unquote white sport and on the other hand you have all these incidents and things happening where you do feel like that that you'll never be you know part of the cool kids it seems like there's a um like hockey's their efforts for diversity are i mean how how much they are actually doing anything is certainly debatable i believe the last number i saw was that it was roughly they had 5% 
black players in the league. And, and that number, I, I don't know if that's what that number has been updated to, if it has yeah. been updated. But is like, have you seen? It's like less than last I checked. Is less than that? Yeah, less than 30. Okay. But, you know, identify as such. So I, I guess the, the question I had for you, and, and maybe this is something you guys covered in the book, and I, so I don't want to give the book away. I encourage everyone to go pick it up next week when it's available, and I pre-order now. But I, I guess the question is, like, the for the diversity thing, like, is it, like, it seems like they're trying to do something about players and, and getting more people involved to play, but also, like, the change has to come from up top, and I don't know what the diversity report is on like front office and GMs and owners and all that, but I imagine it's worse than players and the players report is a very good. So is there, has there been any work by the NHL to fix that part of the equation as well? I mean, their first diversity efforts go back to 1995 with their diversity task force. I mean, have there been like some strides I'd say so, but also you just kind of think about like last summer when, George Floyd's murder happened, which took place in Minnesota, the quote-unquote state of hockey. And you saw all these different sports leagues like WNBA, NFL, like Major League Baseball, uh, Barclay, uh, Bar- English Premier League. And you had all they had you had all these people point out, pointing all these leagues pointing out like point statements. And yeah, hockey show up with skate for black lives, and it's like, come on now, like. Yeah, it's, it was on brand. It was expected, but it's like things are a little bit different now. And also, when you had individual players like Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, uh, Taylor Sagan, and he, putting out like better statements than the team, and you had like Zale Chara and and you know affirmations, aforementioned Sagan, like you know showing up at, at protests and, and taking it in. I mean, I think that's a difference where you never really saw, you know, white players noble white players say something. So I think that's a step in the right direction, but there's still a lot of ground to be made up because this stuff is happening. Like, yeah, this does this stuff happen in other sports? Sure, but I'm not writing a book about other sports. And it seems to be much more insidious when it comes to hockey. And, and that, that kind of followed because I was just about to touch on the, the incident that happened over in the Ukraine with the, I believe it was the Coyotes prospect, Jalen Smerich, and there was a gesture made his direction from a Ukrainian hockey player and he got suspended for 13 games, which seemed like it was way under uh, the crime. The punishment did not fit the crime by any means. And you had a bunch of uh, active NHL players tweeting about it saying, this isn't enough. Like I remember Jacob Chikorin, who's uh, one of the top prospects in the Coyotes organ, well now player in the Coyotes organization tweeting about it. And that, that seems like that's something different than say maybe like even as recent as like four to five years ago. Like I remember when there was the incident with Devontae Smith Pelly at the United center, getting a bunch of abuse from Blackhawks fans. I don't remember any players tweeting about it, but now you're seeing maybe it's different when it happens in the Ukraine and when it happens in the NHL, but it seems like this is something different at least. Oh yeah, no doubt. Like this is, that's kind of one of the, for me, what one of the, you know, like watershed moments when it comes to, you know, racing hockey and, just look at the photos from that night. Like, you've seen, like, you know, fans chanting basketball with, at him when we all know when that happens in hockey culture, it's, it's the N-word. And you had, like, kids and other, like, children. Like, what were those kids thinking when that was going on? Did they, you know, like, did they think what was happening? Did they even know what was happening? I mean, did they think it was, like, 
the standard ribbing and what happens when the player's in the box and there's fans nearby. And that was targeted. I mean, like, of all the things you can, you can say to a player who's in the box and there's fans nearby, those people made that constant decision to be racist. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And there was, I can't, I, I feel like this came up during the Malice at the Palace documentary, and it was just showing, you know, it was just pointing out like all the players on the court when that all started there were predominantly black players and all the people that you saw involved in the fight that erupted that night were all white. It was all white fans majority. So like there's no diversity in the crowd and they, that somehow that there is, I, I think there was like some scientific effect that they feel empowered by being in the majority, I guess, and the players on the court being in the minority. And I guess that's where, that's where I, I, I every time these conversations come up, it just seems like, hockey's so white <laughs> like that and and that's that's just the fact it's in the crowd it's in the players in the front office and so i guess with all of that like it just seems like such a big rock to get moving i guess is the best way i describe it and is it is is there anything that you got through this process that does it convince you that it, it's moving at all i mean from that documentary the death position that jermaine o'neill the pacer player was trying to make was, you know, like fighting is okay in hockey. Oh yeah. That too. And yeah. So, you know, when I explain it, 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 that pops up online sometimes and I always find myself in explanatory mode where I just tell them, I'm like, Hey, you know, like fighting in hockey is seen as a means to an end. It's a tradition. And when the mouse at the palace happened, we have to get into this in the book. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, when a league with black players engaged in that type of behavior is seen as, you know, like a failure in society or like a cultural flaw, you know, and um, so that's definitely, you know, part of, you know, the difference is how we see things. I mean, we saw what happened earlier this year in the Capitol building, and we know that was, you know, an activist group or, or Black Lives Matter or or something like that, we all know the energy would have been different. So it's it's all the same. It's all connected. And I, and I guess the this is the part where I always, I feel like when books or topics of this nature come up, there's, there's a, always a an effort to like end on an optimistic note and that, you know, that things are going better. And I guess the question I would have for you is, you know, you've, you've lived this experience your, your whole life. You've written a book about it now. Are you optimistic? Like, do you think this is going in the right direction? Or are you still like... Uh, I'm much more I'm much more optimistic than my uh, co-author is. I mean, okay. The I always tell people. I guess the start for me is the fact that hockey reached a black kid on the south side of Chicago, 
and a South Asian woman from woman from New Jersey. Yeah, we saw it. We we saw it as the sport as it is. We weren't hung up on another thing. We saw the sport and we loved love it. We loved it. We still love it. So that's I would say, you know, like that's the optimism part, but at the same time, you know, like you mentioned the whole thing with that player and uh, the Coyotes uh prospect in the Ukrainian hockey league. The thing about that brace of gesture that player made, he's done that before. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's and how people reacted and how you had administrators who never probably dealt with racism ever, you know, and treat it like it's a a slap on the wrist or or something like that. So that kind of just shows you like we still have a a long way to go. It feels like that's like whenever the topic of like race and sports comes up, that's always the conclusion at the end is we got a long way to go. I guess that's just the way it is. With with hockey fans in general, like there there is and, and maybe like this is a little bit of a chicken and the egg argument. So like the the just like I, the gatekeeping of hockey fandom, it seems like they're so hell bent on, you know, this is our sport and we don't want anyone else watching it. Did you find as you were talking to people and I, and the racial aspects are in there as well, but is there, I guess, is like, is it because of a racial thing or is there something else that drives the, the gatekeeping mentality that is associated with hockey fans a lot? I always tell people that when these incidents or, or this thinking hockey comes from three areas, uh, it's racial, it's, it's cultural and it's generational. And, you know, I guess I could start off a race, you know, it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier about, you know, about um, players in you know, these incidents, uh, they keep happening and, and also, and, you know, the, the repudiation of like the NBA and the, and the NFL or in any sports where black players mm-hmm. are loud and, and proud and everything else. And, and a part about the generational thing, like, you know, it's like in hockey, like any type of like personality, this is frowned upon. I mean, you had mm-hmm. a team in the Montreal Canadiens trade one of the top defensemen, a Norris Trophy winning defenseman in PK Subban, roundly because he had too much personality. But, but years later, they draft a player who, you know, who was involved in you know, sharing, like, taking photos with a sexual partner and, and disseminating those photos and that, and the team telling that player, hey, I got some things to work on, don't draft me, and they go ahead and draft him anyway. And in terms of, you know, um, cultural, I mean, it's in some sports, you know, being flashy and, and, and you know, having a personality is just who you are. It's not, like, off-putting. But with hockey, is like, you know, they saw that commercial during games of of players saying I and in interviews, no one will ever say I or or talk about themselves. You know, so it's kind of right there, you know, like it's that's where it, it kind of where it's at with those three areas I discussed that I feel like there's, you know, like glaring issues with hockey culture. And it seems like the. 2021 2022 Chicago Blackhawks could be an interesting case study in this regard because they have 
Caleb and Seth Jones on the team, Seth Jones in particular, who has a massive spotlight on him because he is uh, acquired in a big trade, got thrown a huge contract and is like kind of been like anointed by the organization as the number one defenseman for the next, next decade, whether or not he is worthy of that title is something we will watch over the next decade, but he's also a black player and, you know, just hockey in general, obviously there haven't been many in Chicago just because there haven't been many in the league, but now you have, I, I'm trying to think of anybody else like, but this is probably the most prominent non-white guy that the Blackhawks have had on their team, maybe ever. Right. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I can't think of anybody else. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, Dirk Graham, but you know, but the later right. years that yeah, Dustin Bufflin, but like, you know, like his star, he was already traded by the time his star was starting to take off. So right. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, so so that I think the next you know the next five ten years could be uh, an interesting study, and you know I hope he wins five Norris trophies, but <laughs> I guess there's we've 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 talked about Seth Jones plenty, uh, so we don't need to dive into that anymore. Um, but I, I do also want to like the book is the title is Game Misconduct: Hockey's Toxic Culture and How to Fix It, and there's more than just like the racial aspect of this. So what are I imagine there are some other areas that you guys dove into as you're writing this book, and what were some of those other byproducts that are affected by the toxic culture that is within hockey? Well, we first off we examine you know like what exactly you know is hockey culture, and also. You know, about uh, topics on, like, ableism and homophobia and how indigenous folks are treated, uh, what else, uh, bullying, you know, sexual assault and rape, um, what else, uh, how media writes and talks about players, uh, what else, uh, scouting and in terms of, you probably hear, like, what goes on with black quarterbacks in the NHL and something, not, not NHL, I'm sorry, NFL, and something similar happens in the NHL with uh, with black players in the centerman position. And you hear this stuff, you hear this thing called, you know, black players, like some black players, like many black players not happy, having, not having what is called hockey sense. And, you know, you because you know what the center – position consists of what that player is expected to do on the ice and it's kind of like you know race is pretty much i say racist that you think so a black player is 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 written off like for that for that reason i mean it's the same as why you know a black quarterback who's athletic is you know somehow you know, shuffled off, like shuffled off to play defensive back or wide receiver, but any position, but the one, you know, he's, he's good at it. And you saw that with Bill Polian saying all that stuff about Lamar Jackson and how that played out there. That, that play, that comes from an insidious place. Or maybe why the bears waited so long to play Justin Fields. Like, I, I feel like it's uh, probably in there somewhere. I don't know about that. It's another podcast. It's another <laughs> episode. Hole is because play the place you can go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I said we'll we'll be here for another three hours if we we open up that topic. But um, I mean, I think they fixed it today. We're just going to get Justin Fields for the next fifteen years, and everything will be okay. At least with that team. We'll we'll mm-hmm. worry about the other ones later. Um, I, I guess the the 
the last question I have for you, Evan, and thanks again so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on to talk with us is um, yeah. just, just through all these experiences. And, and also part of this is because, you know, you worked with the Sun-Times for so long. I'm always interested by people who get you know deeper into sports media. And now you've written a book and you were a Blackhawks fan growing up, correct? Yes, correct. Yes. So did that, did either, I, I guess like we kind of touched on this with how, like how living the experience that you have might've affected your Blackhawks fandom, but just becoming a sports, uh, you know, working for the Sun-Times and r- now working in a book and writing on sports media. Like, do you still find yourself being a Blackhawks fan or has that changed for you at all? That's a good question. Uh, in that same interview with the athletic that I referenced earlier, you know, uh, it was, I was on there with a couple of blues fans and they're like, you a Blackhawks fan. I was like, I used to be the, I think the correct term today is more so of a Blackhawk observer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I mean, did it have anything to do with like being a journalist and, you know, putting away your fandom and, and everything else? Maybe, maybe, but you know, you've got to be fair. I mean, you know, like you can still be a fan and be critical of some of the things and the players and incidents they've been involved with. I mean, like, think about it. Like we, like I said earlier, we turned in that manuscript for the book in January, and so much in hockey has happened since then. We didn't even, right. the, we haven't even got, we didn't even get to, you know, the whole thing with the Blackhawks and their failure to alleged failure to report, you know. Uh, one of their employees involved in, you know, in, in some sexual assaults. And mm. that's something I think of as a parent. And also the fact that my uh, younger daughter, you know, plays hockey at that rank, you know, and, and, you know, that's one of the reasons I decided, to, one of the reasons I thought about writing the book. I mean, in the book, I mentioned how in another sport, I was called the uh, N-word by a teammate and I internalized that and didn't say anything much, much like, you know, Akim, Akeem Alou did, you mm-hmm. know, with like that, you know, and I didn't really tell anybody. And actually my family found out about it when they read the book. And I just, if there could be a change, I don't, it's, I mean, I was going to be honest, you know, like, my kid, like, when she goes to the rink, she's one of the only few, you know, um, brown kids, right? So I, I'm at the point where it's like, I probably should talk to her about race before someone else does. And that's a heavy conversation to have with a five-year-old. Yeah, yeah, geez, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Yeah, so I just want it to be a thing where it's something, somebody says something to her, she can come to me, she can go to a coach, and we make sure it gets handled. And me, as a 14-year-old back then when this happened, 14, 15-year-old when this happened, I was already of the mind that, like, who's going to really do anything? You know, like, who's going to, you know, be my ally on this? You know? So, there's definitely a couple things that I had in mind as I was writing the book, if I could, you know, something can go forward from this. Well, there you go. Uh, Evan, thank you so much for your time. The book is Game Misconduct, Hockey's Toxic Culture and How to Fix It, written by Evan F. Moore, along with Jasmine Shah. The book comes out next week. It's October 12th, is it? October 12th, Tuesday. October 12th, that is next Tuesday. And you have an event at uh, 
at Madison Street Books, which is looks like West Loop, 1127 West Madison Street, next Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. That's October 13th, where, you, where it's going to be both you and Jashvina in the house, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yes. So so there's that as well. Um, the book's available all over the place. Um, get it now. Um, Evan, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. I uh, really enjoyed talking with you. No doubt. Appreciate you.